Monday, May 22nd, 1 p.m. on the East Coast, Dan Nathan. This is Market Call, as you know. This Market Call brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, Dan, that are powered by tomorrow. I don't know if there are any Ace Freely fans out there, but in just a few minutes, Carter Braxton Worth will be joining us. Why do I mention that? Because Carter's back in the New York groove, an Ace Freely song, of course, of Kiss fame. A um, lot going on over the weekend. Debt talks, Joe Biden, President Biden flying back, G7, China, Micron, so much. Yet the market says, WTF, let's just party on. Is that, not, did I use that correctly? Bothered. WTF, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, guy, not, not bothered whatsoever by this. I mean, it, it's interesting, and, and we're going to hit semis with Carter. You know, this Micron is down 2.5%. Micron's had a huge run, right? And it just broke out of that range. It had been in for, like, it seems like nine or ten months or so. You think that I don't know, maybe like some investors who kind of enjoyed some of that rally and they're, they're just starting to focus on what could go wrong here, right? Like what could go wrong with a, a tit for tat, you know, sort of trade war with semis? We've been in this for a while, and maybe maybe a lot of investors are just kind of like immune to to some of these headlines by now because they certainly seem that way, guy, as it relates to the debt ceiling. We don't seem particularly bothered and it's funny because i you know i remember you like in january saying you know what we better start talking about this we better start putting it on the radar put it on the calendar it's going to be a moving target as far as dates and that sort of thing and there's been no volatility i mean we're like literally zero and we have a vix just pinned at 17 very near you know 52 week lows what's interesting typically uh, the the pundits don't talk about things as much as the market would indicate in this case the market doesn't seem to be care care about what everybody seems to be talking about. Because if you watch the weekend news shows, I mean, a lot of it was focused on exactly this. Um, yeah. All the headlines seemingly coming out are on the back of this. I think what the market is saying is, listen, we've been fooled before on this. There's no reason for us to sell in concern of a possible event because we know, air quotes, that somehow it's going to get fixed. Um and it's going to happen in such a manner that maybe it takes us to the 11th hour. But we've seen this movie before and the markets will rally on it. So why should we try to get ahead of what seems to be the inevitable, um, I guess, conclusion or at least some sort of acknowledgement or agreement between the sides? I, again, I don't know. I mean, that would be the logical assumption to make, I guess. But it seems like both sides are pretty dug in. Now, I know President Biden is meeting with uh, Speaker um, the Speaker McCarthy. of the House today, we'll see, or the speak, Speaker today, we'll see what comes of that. But look, I mean, you hear the acrimony on both sides, and it doesn't seem to really, it seems like both sides are pretty well dug in right now. Yeah, no doubt. And let's just pull up this S&P 500 chart here. And, you know, we know what the level is. It got up briefly above that February 2nd high. It was 4,200. You see that kind of flattening out, moving average. It's down there, what, just below 90, 39.75. 39.80-ish. Like I mean, listen, you know, I mean, <laughs> It's it's a it's a it's a good looking chart. I mean, there, there's there, there's little doubt about it. It does not seem to be pricing in a whole heck of a lot, and and uh, that is what it is. Um, you know, it's interesting though, guy. There's been some movement. I love Mondays because we get all these um, big kind of uh, strategists at the big banks. They're kind of put their weekly notes out. Mm -hmm. They're talking about kind of uh, you know some of them that we track are, are like increasingly frustrated. I think like us, Mike Wilson over there at Morgan Stanley. You know, we had David Rosenberg on our on the 
the podcast two weeks ago, and he said something to you and me, which I thought was really funny. We were talking about, you know, guys like, you know, Mike, who were really right. They got bearish in the in the back half of 2021. They got all of 2022 right. They called some tactical trading moves, right? You know, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, remember when Rosie said to us, Look at how they treat Mike Wilson now. Okay. Like, so, so because he's stuck to his guns because he's remained bearish. And you look at this headline. This is on CNBC Pro today. Uh, Mike Morgan Stanley strategist Mike Wilson says, Don't be fooled. This is not a new bill market. And so it's just kind of interesting, like when you see some of this. And so you see Savita over there at Merrill and she's jumping on the AI train just to adjust her target just up a little bit. We're at basically 4,200. She's putting a 4,300 year end price target. We're already up nine and a half percent in the SP 500. Thoughts on that guy? Well, I mean, I think what you're seeing here is I can't speak for Savita or anybody else. Um, they obviously speak for themselves. But I think you get to a point where you start throwing in the towel if you've been negative. And as we approach June and we're a week away or so from June, I think more and more people are coming to the realization or the conclusion, I should say, that, you know, this is going to start to feed on itself. The longer we stay sort of between 4,100 and 4,200 uh, the more it stands to reason that the, the people will start to chase into year end, which comes very quickly. I'm sort of, listen, I think I'm pretty clear. I still find myself with Mike Wilson. And although he has a $3,900 price target for the end of the year, I think it's going to be interesting if you really dig down and understand how we get there. I still think he believes that, you know, there's going to be a flush four or 500 S&P points lower than that before we round out the year at 3,900. So we'll see. But to answer your question, I think the market, you know, Doug Cass talks about this all the time. Price has a way of changing one's opinion. And, and I understand that because at a certain point, price has a way of just sort of feeding on itself. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, <clears throat> interesting. You, you flagged this the interview that was on Squawk on the Street this morning. It was former Deputy Treasury Secretary and Evercore founder Roger Altman. And this is really interesting. He says the markets um, will have to get ugly. And to your point, right? And so the debt ceiling discussion, um, he said amid the debt ceiling discussion. And, and really, you know, you hear you hear people talk about it's got to be the market that kind of pushes, you know, the powers that be around a little bit to act. Because right now, if there's no real fear being reflected anywhere, and listen, no doubt about it. The, the, the people in government are hearing from business owners, big CEOs, you know, that sort of thing from some of these trade groups and stuff like that saying, listen, you guys don't get your act together. You are not acting in the will of the people and in the best interest of our economy. Right. And so, like, that's why I guess we believe that something will get done. But I guess to your point is like if the markets don't get ugly or to the point of uh, Roger Altman, you know what I mean? If they don't get ugly, there's no minute to minute incentive other than the emails and the calls that they're getting from business leaders. Yeah. And I think some of the rhetoric coming out of the White House and I think it's it's done to try to scare folks into some sort of resolution. I mean, I saw a headline that said the White House sees stock market down 45 percent if there is no resolution. And, you know, the other outcome could be instead of something clean, you know, they could come to some outcome where it's just sort of delayed for a period of time or somebody's throwing around some presidential um, power, 14th Amendment. I, I don't even know what it is yeah. that gives him or her at some point, hopefully the right to do such a thing. So it'll be interesting to see if that's in fact happens, what the market reaction will be. That could be one of those knee-jerk hires until people realize, wait a second, this isn't as good an outcome as we thought. And then maybe that's when the market sells off. But with each passing literally hour now, I think things get a little more dire. And June 1st seems to be the date that everybody's 
come to the that's sort of everybody's getting their arms around and I don't know. With each passing day, it gets more and more difficult to come to this resolution. We'll see. I'm let's not put it this way. I think it would be shocking if the president and and um, the speaker came out today arm in arm and said, we've reached a resolution. This is in the best interest of the United States, blah, blah, blah. And it'll give us the next two years type of thing. I just don't think that's yeah. happening. Well, you know, to, to your point, two weeks ago, they had a meeting with uh, the congressional leaders and they came out and they couldn't have been further apart. Last week, they, before President Biden went to the, uh, the G7 in Japan, I mean, like they sounded like oddly optimistic. It was just super weird. They talked about possibly having a bill on the floor, um, you know, to, to raise the debt ceiling this week or something like that. And so now, you know, nothing's really going to come out of this. I think to your point, the longer it drags on is the greater likelihood that it does turn into a kick the can down the road, uh, 11th hour sort of thing. All right, let's bring but Listen, in. real quick, yeah. and I, I want to bring Carter in, but the, the, I flagged the Altman comments if we could pull them up real quick, because yeah. I think this is exactly right. If we could just toggle back, as Carter would say, yeah, the debt ceiling is on top of mind, but the larger worry is the macro environment. And that's what we've been yeah. trying to hammer home. Like all the things we talk about are sort of the headline gatherers, but the reality is, the macro isn't getting any better. And I, I think that's what people, at least that's what the market should be more focused on. And I thought it was interesting that Mr. Altman said that. Anyway, um, let's get Carter in here. But I just wanted to sort of make that no, point. I know. I, I think it's a great point. Let's uh, let's have Carter come in and just uh, like drop some knowledge on us about forget the charts for a moment here, Carter. Like you heard what we were just talking about. And so, first of all, welcome. Thanks for joining us Uh this afternoon here. What, what is your thought? You, you've seen a lot of these sorts of like debates. And so there's this headline thing and, and every front page story, you know, is, is on this every top of hour on CNBC, that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, there's other stuff going on in the background. And the longer this draws out is the less confident that business leaders have to hire, to deploy capital, to do a whole host of things. And that's the stuff in the background, right? That really does have the potential to weaken the economy, despite the fact that we might end up with some sort of deal. And even if it was, is one that just kicks the can down the road for a few months. Right. So you, the, the presumption is, and this is what that you're dealing with rational players, right? That's in all business negotiations. And then once in a while, that's not the case in geopolitics, rational player. Um, it's why no one has ever shot a nuke uh, because, you know, that's quite, quite insane. And as you remember in school, they referred to mad mutually assured destruction. So everyone's kind of at a standoff. Um, and an irrational player comes on the scene and no one knows how to cope with it. It is that same thinking, of course, that they're not insane enough, even though they're at each other's throats, to go past the deadline. And uh, just think even how when there was this um, about to go to trial with Dominion and so forth, they brought in a negotiator, right? Someone at the last to get that thing done with Fox and so forth. So the point is that it will get done. The odds of that are almost 100 percent. Um, I think you referred to a 40% decline if it didn't. So I don't think, I think the thing that's interesting is that the presumption is um, that it will get resolved and that the market will rally. What if it's the opposite, that the market's being held here only because it hasn't been resolved? And once it's resolved, it's like a classic buy the rumor, sell the news. Mm -hmm. And then it's back to, wait a minute, the, the geopolitics are dicey, the macro environment is dicey, and what is the reason to really push equities higher. And and quickly, I'll say this, the flip side of that, I think the bulls would say the only reason we're not significantly higher, and again, that's what makes markets, um, is because of this overhang. And once it's resolved or reconciled, whatever word you want to use, that's going to be the catalyst to take us the next leg higher. 
obviously, Carter, you know what camp I'm in. I'm in yours. But the other side of the coin is that the only reason we're not significantly higher than we are now is because of all the things we spent the last eight minutes talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's what makes this so nuanced. And, and you could feel the tension, right? It's, it's quite elegant. It's a beautiful moment of equilibrium. Um, and uh, standoffs, all debates come to an end, right? You can um, you can only go so far before ultimately you get a resolution. And we know that uh, it is coming. Um, but I, I uh, look, I see statistics every day. It says when you have this strong a start to the year, typically it's a good year. Um, you see them too. Um, those things are true until they're not, mm -hmm. right? It's data mining. It's looking for reasons. Uh, we we have a circumstance, again, just it's stunning to think that the Russell 3000, which represents the whole market, right? Not just the 500, but on from there at, at 46 trillion. It is half the stocks in that index are actually unch or down from where they were on October 13th. Right. And so one could say, so what breath? Yeah, big deal. Winners win and losers lose. And that's it, it just it feels a little bit suspect. Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for error, especially when volatility readings are where they are, where interest rates are, where they are, where inflation is, where it is. You know what I mean? Like when you think about all the things that we go in, that like we spend a lot of time as inputs into whether to buy or sell something. And I know you just care about price and technicals. Um, that's the big disconnect um, for us right here. Let's talk about, and before we get to your note on, on, on semiconductors, there's some stock specific news you saw over the weekend. The Chinese are banning some of the companies that they deem to be, um, you know, important to their infrastructure, both, um, you know, from uh, a government standpoint, a military standpoint, a whole host of things. They're banning them buying chips from Micron. These are largely uh, memory chips here. There's a commoditized company. And, and you know, listen, we know that this stock always trades at a discount because of the cyclical nature of their products and the commoditization of those products. But, you know, this thing, you know, had been banging up against that resistance level about $60 for the better part of the last, let's call it three quarters of a year. It just broke out above that. This headline comes out over the weekend. I think at its lows pre-market, it was down 5%. It's down about a half percent right now. And to me, that's kind of interesting. If you back this one out, five years or so, this kind of $60 level has been a level. Carter, talk to us a little bit about Micron, and then we'd love to hear what you're thinking about the broader space here, because you had a really great note out on we're charting today. Well, you know, it's it's funny. There, one thing we know, just and then address Micron, is that these are these are cyclical, right? They are highly cyclical. The most sort of beta-oriented cyclical um, component or um, area within technology, but there is the case that it's become more secular, right? And there are a lot of bulls that are making that case. In terms of Micron, it has all the elements of a bearish to bullish reversal. The short-term chart shows that, yes. And the question is, is this weakness to take advantage of or weakness to stay away from? My hunch is that you buy the dip. It's interesting, Dan, because what we talked about it earlier, you and I, with Elizabeth Young in a pod that will drop if it hasn't already in your favorite podcast store. But I was actually surprised by how well Micron was trading on the back of this. And we play that game that if you had told me 24 hours ago, all the things that were going to sort of happen and then said, okay, where this, where's the stock going to be? I thought Micron could be down you know, 10 to 12% on the back of this, given the bounce the stock has had since early, late December, early January. And it's really nowhere. So again, it just speaks to, in my opinion, sort of this lackadaisical attitude that the market seems to have personally, I think it augurs, I think it's a much bigger story in terms of the rhetoric between 
U.S. and China relations. Um, but that's probably for another show. But again, this is just one more salvo, and one has to wonder what the response on the back of this is going to be. Yeah. So Carter, and when when you talk again, you know the, the the back and forth here is the thing that causes. Um, you know, a, a lot of uncertainty here. We've been in a trade war with China for over five years, and we always knew that semiconductors was going to be um, at the core of this guy, as aptly pointed out before, as Elon Musk did in his interview with uh, David Faber last week, that, you know, if you think that there's going to be a dust up, you know, a real economic, you know, like war between the U.S. and with China, it's like, Apple is going to be ground zero for that. When you think about how much they rely on consumers over there, how much they rely on manufacturing, how much they've oriented their supply chain and all the components that go into all their devices that are made over there. I mean, that's the one that's going to be thorny. And when you think about just, you know, Micron, again, I think they get, you know, like, you know, half their sales or so are in China. Qualcomm has a similar situation. Broadcom does too. So, you know, you think about this, this is not going to be an easy thing to, to pick apart here. It is also interesting that um, President Biden on the way back from G7 was talking about how, you know, at least communication or ties with China are going to improve in the not so distant future. Again, um, you know, not something I think to be that optimistic about without some major concessions one way or the other, especially at a time where a lot of folks think that they're about to make some sort of move, whether it be economically, whether it be who knows, militaristically with Taiwan. We just don't know. Carter, talk to us a little bit because you had some great work. Um, you're looking at semiconductors versus that broader Russell 3000 um, index. And I'm curious, why at this time this has caught your eye you just mentioned how 50 percent of the russell 3000 are below their october lows is it really a matter of breadth and we know that the socks has really outperformed the broader market from the october lows right so in the context of the milestone achieved last week which was of course that the s p 500 information technology sector recouped all of its relevant losses associated with the dot-com peak and bust Semi nowhere near having recouped that. They were they were um, the real poster childs uh, during that. Right? Remember, everyone was up. GE was trading at forty five times. So so was Walmart um, in two thousand. Pfizer, but uh, semis were even more extended than than the QQQ. And we'll we'll see some charts here. But at, to my eye, I think you want to uh, as a pair actually be overweight semis here relative to let's say QQQ or XLK. Wow. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that, that's a pretty interesting takeaway here. And does it concern you though, that semis, when you think about it, you know, NVIDIA and Taiwan semi are, are just, that is the industry right now for all intents and purposes. When you think about the lack of participation in, you know, in Intel, the underperformance in AMD has come alive a little bit with this AI stuff. Um, is it, is it, um, I know you're looking at 60 semi stocks here, but it really is about Taiwan semi and NVIDIA, isn't it? Right, so the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index is 30 stocks. Yeah. There are a total of about 60 publicly traded in the Russell 3000 index, so it's double. Um, and what we know it, at uh, 2.4 trillion, uh, the top two, we'll see on the next slide, um, the top few names drive everything, just to your point. So yeah. NVIDIA and Broadcom, and you see it there, are, are fully 43% of the entire weight of the entire Russell 3000 semiconductor. The top 10 make up 80. So it's a very concentrated, but that's the case in so many industries. Think about banks. Let's say, what if JP Morgan and, and City and Wells Fargo and Bank of America control? Or how about um, uh, you know Exxon, Chevron? This is the nature of business. Um, the question is, 
in aggregate, is this a, a good chart, right? Always and forever. And I, I think it is. We can, we can pull up a chart or two and maybe take a look. But just to put it in context, the reason why at the end of the piece we focused on the socks, this Russell 3000 semiconductor index does not have a lot of history. It only goes back 10 years, where the socks goes back, back to 1994. But just to make the point, they're very correlated. If you add in other things, for instance, and we toggle here, there's the QQQ. And what this is is a beta trade, right? They overshoot on the way up and they undershoot on the way down. And they've been, of course, the best performers off the October low. We can add in, of course, the S&P. We can add in the Russell 2000. Just to put this in context, this is a three-year chart. But look at the actual chart of the socks. You'll see that here. Nothing that you haven't looked at before on the next slide. And it's basically has all the elements of a bearish to bullish reversal. Now, instead of using the moving average, of course, we can draw lines, which is important in charting. Look at the first iteration. Now, if we pull that back to a little longer term, now add the downtrend on the way down. It's not random. There's a lot of symmetry to all this. Does it mean that it has to go back to the December highs? No, but I think it's going to work higher. Another way to draw the lines, of course, would be this. It doesn't matter whether you call it a cup and handle. It doesn't matter. It's, it's what a reversal looks like. Add in the downtrend line, and we know we've breached that. Um, now, go back to just the 150-day. You'll see the next and final. There's with the 150-day. If we take everything away and just put the 150-day, and then look at this long term. Here's the 150-day going back for five years. So it's just got room to run. Then think about the QQQs are getting uh, close to the highs and making new relative highs. I think this is a catch-up trade to things, frankly, like Apple and Microsoft. So let me ask you this, Carter. Yeah, what what do you think? What does that suggest then, if anything, for the S and P five hundred? Because obviously the semis, you know, it's a, it's a rather significant component of all this thing. And as you showed in that first slide, you know, so much is predicated now on what Nvidia is going to do in a couple of days. So if if in fact you're right, does it is it a tell for the broader market? Which, by the way, I still think is headed lower, but this would suggest otherwise. You know, on the front page of the report, it says, you know, as for NVIDIA, we haven't a clue. But then it went on to say, we ourselves have puts. Now, um, you know, that whole we, that's like the doctor with a mouse. It's that, you know, formal, when you're working for a house, now it's mm -hmm. my firm, but you don't put the first person singular. So anyway, the point is, I have puts. And so my, my the bet is cast for me. We shall see. But uh, to your point, if and as... NVIDIA goes higher, it's going to pull this all higher. And if NVIDIA has a crack, does they do they all crack or is it an idiosyncratic crack for NVIDIA? But essentially, we have a couple charts to look at because they're both they're two different companies, obviously. But let's take a look at Qualcomm, which obviously has not performed um, in especially not only with the broader market, but with the space. So if we could pull that Qualcomm chart up just to take a quick look. I mean, we're at levels where I think, Carter, we should be finding support. We're at the levels that we saw in November of last year. It's had a pretty significant move lower and probably justifiably so. Um, but is this something, if your thesis is correct, you want to take a shot with? No, I mean, this, so whereas, right, this is one of the worst, you've got the bearish price volume correlation, mm -hmm. volume not shown here, but you know that drop in gap of uh, 10 sessions ago was had a concomitant spike in volume. Uh, I wouldn't do this one. Take a yeah. look at Intel because- I think Intel? so much if there is a both story in Intel, which, you know, every stock has a bull and a bear story. But I think a lot a lot of the bull story in Intel is like a homeland security type of place. So let's take a look at an Intel chart, which is showing signs of life 
I guess only in so much as, you know, it's not significantly lower and that's a win for Intel thoughts here. Right. And, and so prototypical, if we're trying to measure changes in trend using a moving average, it has a moving average is now flat and slightly rising. You get the overshoot, you get the check back to the penny. It gaps up off the line. Uh, I like this. All right. Fair enough. I mean, that, that, <clears throat> that moving average is 150 moving average. We also have a five-year chart um, on the Intel and it just shows you, I mean, what, what a pig it's been that $20 level um, seemed like, or the $25 level, excuse me, um, seemed like a nice little kind of bottoming out. And it felt like it was going to kind of head back through that moving average. So I guess maybe as Guy would say, you traded against that 150 day um, on the long side um, and maybe it gathers a little bit of that kind of uh, pixie dust that's associated with, um, you know, some of the AI stuff. I mean, listen, you know what this story is here. They're, they're just kind of been getting their, their lunch eaten by AMD as it relates to market share and just all the, the stuff that NVIDIA has been able to do with their graphics chips um, and moving into more of the CPU from the GPU and, and, and kind of just it, it's, um, it's something that's kind of made them um, a force in data center, a force in these advanced AI chips. And so, I don't know, maybe maybe uh, Intel can, can rework a little bit of that. Um, all right, Carter, before we let you go, just a really quick question here. And so we've talked a little bit about Eli Lilly. Eli Lilly's gained more than $100 billion market, uh, in market cap in just like the last three or four months, I think, um, on just uh, the kind of excitement around these pre-diabetic uh, drugs that have been used for weight loss. Um, they're working Quite well. All you have to do is look at that um, sort of Eli Lilly chart. But like this is the day chart since there was um, a story on CNBC that Pfizer, okay, has an oral um, an oral drug that in a peer review looked to do very well versus some of the ones that have already been FDA approved um, that Lilly and Novo Nordisk is using. If we could pull up a one year chart of Lilly, just so you can see what's happened here and and look at that i mean that is all there, there's a couple other things in guy you can speak to the alzheimer's drug there but this largely has to do i think with the um ozempic here and then if you look at a pfizer has not it, it looks like the exact opposite chart right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you have a headline like this and just you know i mean today when i saw this this news i went out and bought the july 40 calls. Look at that hungry alligator right there. Is that what you call it there, guy? Um, the, I, they were trading like 60 cents. And, and, and you know, and you look at the move um, that the Lilly has had, if there's just anything in this Pfizer, it's so I'm just curious thoughts on Lilly and Pfizer here because they had the exact opposite move on the news today. And one, you know, they couldn't be more opposite charts for the last year also. Literally. And so it, to your point, it's first and foremost a testament to relative strength and momentum. Stocks and uptrends typically are ones to be owned. Stocks and downtrends are typically not to be owned um, unless and until it gets fairly extreme. And look, Pfizer was always the most valuable pharma by a long shot. And it's the king is sort of on its knees. Um, will Pfizer be a dog forever? No. Um, but the sequencing, if we just look at the sequence of the sell-off basically year-to-date and the equal and opposite rally in Lilly, at some point, Pfizer, quote, is pricing in the worst possible scenario and gets a counter trend. And at some point, Lilly, who, who the hell doesn't know that Lilly maybe has a big drug on the horizon, mm -hmm. right? I mean, <laughs> that's the point. And so, so, you know, it has nothing to do with the long-term prospects. We're trying to be tactical. And from time to time, you could say, hey, this one's overdone. 
to the upside. This one's overdone to the downside, and you make your bet. The trick to all of it is, of course, keep the stops tight. Pfizer's interesting here. I mean, this is the first bit of good news we've seen in this stock in quite some time. And, you know, this can start to feed on itself, especially, Dan, if people are starting to look for alternatives in the sp- in that specific sector that have reasonable valuations. Now, Pfizer has a reasonable valuation for the wrong reasons, because, quite frankly, they're a little challenged in terms of pipeline and stuff. But if this comes to fruition, you could definitely see this thing have a 15 to 20 percent move without batting an eye. Eli Lilly, if we could sort of toggle back quick little longer-term chart. Listen, this has been lower left to upper right for quite some time. You had a bit of a hiccup recently that moved down to 310 or so. We actually flagged it and talked about it being levels of support that proved to be correct. And this is a stock a couple of weeks ago, at least last week, was making an all-time high. Along the way, though, as you've seen, there have been moves to the downside. Each one of those moves has been, you know, has found buy levels, and I think we're probably going to see that again. I don't think you run too far from Lilly here. But I do think there's an opportunity to play Pfizer from the long side like you're doing. Yeah, and, and it really does come down to just the sentiment, too, when you think about it. And, and obviously valuation. I mean, people are really comfortable buying Lily at a valuation that is re- relative to many of its peers, just doesn't look like it makes sense in the pharma space. And they were willing to sell Pfizer at a valuation that normally a lot of you know investors would be looking to buy um, a stock with such poor sentiment. So, you know. Listen, this is also something about investing in manias right now. This is the hottest thing that's going on in pharma, right? So if you look at NVO and you pull that up, it looks a lot like the Lilly move based on the same sort of drug. And so, you know, like maybe the Pfizer thing never plays out the way you think it is because maybe they're just too late to the game and the enthusiasm about the space is already baked into here. But, you know, for me, and, and Carter said, you stops. That's why I'm defining my risk. I'm playing through calls. I'm risking what I'm willing to lose here. Um, so, but- but if it does end up being a bigger frenzy, like that trade will work out. Um, so, all right, Carter, we appreciate you stopping in. We appreciate your work on the semis. We appreciate you doing a little OT with us on the Lilly and the Pfizer. We'll see you back on but, Wednesday. We're going to go deep on NVIDIA. Before he uh, leaves, are you, yeah. in fact, back in the New York groove like I teased at the top? In the New York groove. See that I knew it, Dan. That was pretty good. Nice. Are you an what, Ace Freely fan? Buildings? Was it the tall uh, buildings? Was it the tall buildings? Was that those, those cypress trees behind me there? Well, no, that could be that could be any at that level. That could be any city in the Atos Unis that you know. That could be Baltimore. That could be Philadelphia. That could be Chicago, Illinois. Could be a number of different places, Dan. All true. So, good having you back, Carter. Bye, guys. Hey, guy. Let's broaden this conversation out a little bit. So we started out by talking about how it just feels like we're just kind of in this, you know. Although Mike Wilson says, don't be fooled again. It's not a new bull market. Um, It really feels like a bull market. And then on a day like today Mm -hmm. where you see so much money moving into some of the more speculative sort of things and AI and the like here, to look at some of these consumer staples that caught your eye today. Um, You you wanted to look at uh, Coca-Cola, which is interesting. looks like a bit of a triple top. It came right back to its moving average here. And this is interesting because, you know, we talk about staples all the time. You know, these traded like low to mid 20s sort of PE multiples. A lot of people scratch their head and they ask why. And it's supposed to be that kind of defensive nature of their products, right? Um, and therefore, in, in a tough market, people will overpay for them. But in a market right now where people are overpaying for a lot of the most speculative stuff, why do you see a stock like this coming in so hard? Well, it comes down to with them, it comes down to sort of margins. And then no longer, I think what's what you see happening is it's getting harder and harder to pass on those costs to their consumers. So when margins get squeezed in these names, 
first thing that happens is people sell first, ask questions later. And I think that's what you're seeing. And in terms of the technicals, uh, I know we talked about Walmart last week, the potential for that to sort of top out around 158, bit of a double top that came to fruition. This looks remarkably like a Walmart chart. And in these names, Dan, it's like nobody cares about valuation until they do. And that's not meant to be glib in any way, shape or form. But that I think is what's going on here as well. The flip side, obviously, is Pepsi, which is sort of lower left, upper right. And the divergence between the two, I think, is pretty stark. So you see that's the Pepsi chart. You see that. I mean, obviously, that's pulled back a little as well. But this has been a pretty constructive chart while Coca-Cola has struggled. So we'll see. I just wanted to point it out because to your earlier point at the top of the show, there are things below the surface or sort of things that people aren't talking about that are challenged. And, you know, you can throw Walmart in that equation. You can throw Target in that equation. We're going to hear from Costco. There are a lot of things, I think, on the consumer front that are concerning. But at 4,200 in the S&P, nobody seems to really be focused on it. Yeah. One thing I would say about Coke and Pepsi here. So if you were to draw an imaginary line from the bottom left to, to the upper right on this Pepsi, you see an uptrend that probably gets you back towards what, 175 or so guy that's below that kind of uh, moving average. And if we want to go back to Coca-Cola, um, it's sort of the same thing. I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at where this stock is trading right here at its 150-day uh, moving average here, and you were to draw an uptrend from those October lows connected to the March lows, you know, you probably have a level to take a shot. If you Absolutely. Were Risk reward, 100%. You know, against that 61 and a half ish. I mean, that makes yeah. sense. Like, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for those opportunities. So although this doesn't look particularly constructive at 61 and a half, one, one's eye can draw that uptrend line from the October low connecting to sort of the early March low and your third points that are coming right where we are now, ironically enough, or I guess not ironic, right at the 200-day moving average, which, by the way, is continuing to slope higher. So if you're looking for a trade, you know, I think Coca-Cola on the long side makes a little bit of sense. Um, now, I know I've been talking bearish all the time, but you can have both thesis trades in the within the confines of a bearish yeah. overall market, I think, projection. So well, that's I, what I'm looking at here. Two things here. I just want to bring up the Proctor chart because this does not look like at a level PG here where if you look at that kind of the, the, the moving average, you look at that uptrend, it looks like there's kind of more room mm -hmm. to go to the downside. But then I also want the guys to pull up the Dixie, the DXY, the U.S. dollar index. Do you think this move lower guy has something to do with the recent strength in the dollar to some degree when you think about how much sales that these companies that we just mentioned coke pepsi and proctor have outside the u.s do you think there's a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction to the dollar yeah I, listen i think you know so many of these companies use the dollar as an excuse um when things are not going particularly well the, the strengthening dollars hurt us blah 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 they never make mention of it when it's weakening but to your point i think the fact that the dollar is getting off the mat a little bit here creates a bit of a headwind. So I think that's part of it. But I also think a big part of it is, you know, the inability to continue to pass on their costs to their yeah. end customer. And that hurts margins, which subsequently hurt the stock price. And we've seen, listen, just go back and look at Tyson's Food, TSN, about a week and a half or two weeks ago, when they basically said, listen, people are trading down between pork, beef, and chicken. People are trading down. They could no longer pass the costs on. And the stock got obliterated and i think again you're starting to see there you go you're starting to see more and more of that dan take place all right last thing before we get out of here because this could be a market mover maybe guy um jp morgan if these guys could pull up the day chart they Comes have out their, jpm 
<laughs> yeah, it does. And they're having their kind of investor day today. They started out with some headlines talking about just the benefits from, you know, their net interest margins they're going to see from their purchase of uh, First Republic. And there was a, a bunch of um, I, I think Jamie Dimon, the CEO, is speaking very soon, guy, maybe two, two thirty or something like that. But it's interesting. The stock gapped up on some of the early morning headlines. What was the three billion dollars of, uh, the, you know, from the First Republic deal that took, I think that headline got things going. Uh, and then it's obviously sold off since then. Yeah, no, it's, it's just interesting. I mean, it'd be one of those things on a day like today where we're seeing the KRE, it's up 2%. That's coming off a little bit. There was some um, decent news about um, PacWest maybe selling a portfolio of commercial real estate um, loans that maybe uh, some investors have kind of been a bit worried about. So that stock opened up 3 or 4%. Now it's up 18%. And a lot of the regionals are rallying with it. But I guess keep an eye on JP Morgan. It'll be interesting to see. You know, Jamie Dimon is known to kind of say what's on his mind a little bit. And going back to one of the first things we touched on in the show here is that, you know, Roger Altman's conversation uh, or that on CNBC when he said, listen, everybody's focused on this debt ceiling thing, but it really is the weakness, the underlying weakness in the economy. So I don't know. I feel like Jamie's been kind of all over the place on the economy guy over the last year, year and a half or so. He's been all, he's been all over the place, yet I think he's been pretty um, consistent in his view that things were challenging and that he saw some some dark clouds out there. So. You know, he's ebbed and flowed a bit, and it's going to be interesting to see what the commentary is. I'm sure the debt ceiling will come up, although it's probably going to coincide with the either beginning or ending this McCarthy-Biden meeting, but we'll see. But, you know, they're at the, they're at the epicenter of everything. And as Doug Cass has pointed out and Carter a couple of weeks ago, that long-term sort of five-year head and shoulders pattern is still intact in JPM. Now, obviously, it starts to need to really, I think, accelerate through 135 on the downside and then things will get interesting but today's at least for today that intraday move from high to low is interesting for sure fair enough all right guy dami it's great to have you back I i'm think back it was Wednesday fun um Thursday. by the way i left and you know i i mets reeled off five in a row so you met fans out there and dan i know that you have a relationship with the skipper of the San Diego Padres. And yeah. I got to tell you something, San Diego Padres, you look at them on paper, you say, my God, this team is going to might have the, might have the best team batting average in the history of major league baseball, given the players they're trotting out there. As I looked, they are dead last in the league and that's both American and national league in batting. Yeah. Something's got to give there, Dan, you might want to give skip a call and find out, by the way, well, I only mentioned that because the pods are in town this weekend in the Bronx. I'm going to see him, and, and I'm going to tell you one thing I'm not going to do is, is tell Mr. Melvin anything about what he should be doing with his lineup or his no. – I mean, it's just not – you know, I'm a lax bro, dude. It's not it, – like, 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 like he'd laugh me out of the dugout if I tried to say something. I might have to send a – I might have to send a detailed email – to you to send you know to him. I, I'm going to see him Saturday night and we'll, we'll give you a ring. We'll FaceTime. Please. You, you can figure out by them how to use FaceTime. We'll, we'll send you a FaceTime. Yeah. You I look forward to that. Well, are we wrapping it? Because we did go yeah. overtime here, but we had great Carter Braxton worth. That it is, that is it for today. May 22nd market call. I want to thank obviously FactSet financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider, the great Carter Braxton worth, who is in fact back in the New York groove, Dan, Nathan, and to our audience, all comments are loved and recognized, at least by Dan and I. And I'll say this. Check out our YouTube channel, right, Dan? Subscribe to that thing and send some comments and smash the like button because 
I think that's still a thing, unless I forgot to know. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow is a CME day, so it's just going to be the two of us, but I look forward to that as well, Dan. All right, see ya. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Thanks to FactSet.